This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Have enough, Oswald. Hello, everybody. Thanks for coming out to uh, the Beltway Banthas live show here at the Arlington Central Library. Thank you so much to our host, um, Michelle, who helped us set this whole thing up here at the library. So uh, thank you so much to you and everything you've done to help us. Um, so Beltway Banthas, we are a podcast all about Star Wars and politics and where the two intersect. Um, this is something that you see a lot in the Star Wars movies. Um, political themes, the, uh, the fall of a republic, the rise of an empire, um, scrappy rebels versus uh, tyranny. What we do on this podcast is talk to folks who work in media, politics, and journalism um, about where these things intersect. And we have discussions about why they are fans, how long they've been fans, and, and sort of what messages they see in these movies. So I'm really excited today to welcome all of our guests who have been on the show. Um, and I'll let you introduce yourselves right now. Sure. Uh, I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson. I am a pollster and a columnist at the Washington Examiner, and I co-host a podcast called The Pollsters. I'm Ben Dominich. I'm the publisher of The Federalist and a contributor to CBS News. I'm Scott Detrow, along with Tamara. I co-host the NPR Politics podcast, and I cover Congress for NPR. And I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House for NPR, um, and I also co-host the NPR Politics podcast. <laughs> So every Beltway Banthas show, we start off with, hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I am your host, Stephen Kent. Uh, I'm your other host, Suara Saleh. And today, we are doing a live show in Arlington. So, we're going to talk about The Last Jedi, we're going to talk about how Star Wars sort of factors into your own lives and also your professional lives as well. Uh, and then we'll take some questions from the audience and do a little uh, Q&A. So Star Wars is a bridge builder. I mean, that's kind of why we are all here. We're folks from different walks of life, different corners of media and politics. Um, so this is a supergroup of media politicos from across the spectrum. Um, this is exhibit A of how Star Wars can bring people together to have conversations about things they have in common and not the things that divide them. So I wanted to ask all of you, um, feel free to kind of you know, go on down the line where in your life has a relationship sort of popped up as a result of fandom? Or have you been able to connect with someone um, who maybe you don't have much in common with or met somebody who was a fan and you're like, oh my gosh, you're a Star Wars fan too? I feel like that happens to everybody at some point. I know, Kristen, you have some stories regarding your husband <laughs> just about yes. that, but uh, I'll let y'all take it away. Yeah, so uh, I began working at a polling firm back in 2005, and around 2007, this a uh, nice guy named Chris starts working with me, and we had one of those, you know, every, everybody's office computer was all networked together, and so if you were using iTunes, you could see in, this is like way pre-Slack, but you could see what other people in the office were listening to if you had not adjusted your settings accordingly, and I did not. Uh, and I have uh, the, I had the episode one soundtrack. Um, Duel of the Fates is great. Say what you will about episode one, and I'm always happy to, to halfway defend it. But I, I, it just, it must have come up. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to like conceal like, oh, I was listening to it and I'm ashamed of it. I really don't know how it, it came on. But all of a sudden, Chris walks into my office and he's like, 
are you listening to the episode one soundtrack? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, maybe what of it? And he's like, there are so many better tracks on. <laughs> oh, okay. He's going the deep cuts on episode one. And the hipster version. we've been married for almost six years. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that. Uh, I, uh, I have a number of friends who are very dedicated uh, Star Wars fans, cosplayers, and participants in all sorts of different groups uh, associated with it, and very much invested into the now sort of, you know, written off expanded universe uh, experience. And uh, and yes, we still email and text and argue about various things uh, written by Timothy Zahn. So that's that's kind of, that's the one connection that I can have, which is nowhere near close to what Kristen said. So, so. I'm happy to let you know, Timothy Zahn's back in the canon. I, yes, I did, I did hear this, yes. So, so many books now. I, I just flashed back to like the pros and cons of the you can look at other people's iTunes era, which like, <laughs> there were a lot of pros and like terrible, terrible cons. Because like, I feel like that peak like right when I was in college and like, I'm glad that era has passed. <laughs> yeah, I think generally, like, it, it's something where you just start talking to someone, and then suddenly there's a thing you can connect on and go down a very deep rabbit hole. Like, I'm just thinking, uh, I was at a party with a bunch of my wife's college friends who were all friendly, and we got to know a little bit, but uh, all of a sudden I realized it was one in the morning, and I was, like, in the kitchen of this house talking about the expanded universe with somebody, for, with her friend, like, 20 minutes later, and my wife's like, we're leaving. Come on, let's go. But, but just like very quickly, you can connect and have a, a deep conversation. I think like that's that's a great thing, not just with Star Wars, but so many other franchises as well. Yeah, I I guess that Star Wars is very connected with my college experience because I I'm thinking I might be slightly older than you guys, or I'm not sure. But they were re-releasing the original trilogy when I was in college, and I didn't live in the dorms. I didn't have a lot of. I did not properly put my social life together when I entered college. But I was able to really bond with people I barely knew by standing in line for hours on end to see the original trilogy. And then, of course, we were all very good friends by the time the movies were, uh, episodes one, two, and three came out to disappoint us. <laughs> the the re releases, the special editions, were actually my entry point as well, which is why, while I joined the Hating on George Lucas bandwagon on many fronts, him tinkering with the special editions never bothered me because that was the first time I encountered all the original movies. In, in terms of the waiting in line piece, isn't there a triumph, uh, the insult comic drag like <laughs> skit where he goes to the line of people standing waiting for? It must have been one of the prequels. I think it was Attack of the Clones. Uh, or was it Revenge of the Sith? But he goes through the line, and I think there's a, like a couple that gets married in the line. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It was Attack of the Clones because I've watched it ten times. <laughs> <laughs> and he says for me to poop on a bunch of times. <laughs> no doubt. And someone comes uh, dressed up as Spock at one point and uh, <laughs> engages in an inappropriate hand gesture to oh. everyone in the line. Of course. I remember when I was uh, seeing uh, Revenge of the Sith, a bunch of Harry Potter kids came by and like, threw stuff at us. They were wearing their, their wizarding gowns or whatever you call them. And they just yell, uh, yelled obscenities at us and then I drove away and we were like, what just happened? Are those, were those wizards? <laughs> no, they were trolls. <laughs> um, ben, what, what was your first experience with Star Wars? 
I remember my father showing us a version of Star Wars that he taped off of cable. <laughs> that's that's the first thing that I remember. I remember I remember the figurines. I remember seeing Empire and and just being like blown away by it. But I also uh, I don't know. I as 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 kind of I grew up. I and we we would rewatch. We had those original VHSs, and we rewatched the crap out of those. Uh, and just to the point where they, they would have all sorts of you know problems with it while they're watching them, um, and it was just it was great for my siblings and for me to sit down together and to share that. And I just think of that as something that uh, you know was very commonly shared. And and to your point about sort of entry point being the special editions, it's always been my belief that the ultimate proof that time travel will, will never exist is that no one showed up in 1983 to shoot George Lucas. <laughs> right? like, like, the fact that that has not happened is definitive proof time travel will never exist. I think we have some strong feelings up here about 2000 to 2005. <laughs> am, I, am I really going to be the one that defends no. episode one on um, this? I'm going to join you too. Episode, episode one does not deserve the flack that it gets. I am a prequel child. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm one of the younger ones here. Um, you know, episode three was my first theater experience for Star Wars, um, and episode one and two. I mean, that was um, that was just sort of seeing it once they came out. Mm -hmm. you know? Like yeah, for I, me, sorry, I just want to say for me, I was a prequel child as well. I grew up with uh, one and two at <coughs> home on video or DVD, and then I saw three in the theater with my dad. It was an amazing experience, and I loved those films as a kid, but then when you grow up and you realize, oh, romantic scenes don't actually play out that way. That's not how people actually talk. <laughs> no, you they do not. And you just, uh, yeah, you reflect back and just think, hmm, George, you know, this made sense to me as a kid, but as an adult, uh, I still appreciate, though, and I will join you in defending here, you know, the sort of political implications that George Lucas was putting into those films at the time. And the thing is, he a lot of people think that this was based simply off the Iraq war, but really he had a lot of these ideas for, um, you know, that notion of a large force invading a smaller country years before uh, that occurred. And it just so happened coincidentally, and he injected straight from George Lucas, admit, or sorry, uh, straight from George Bush administration speeches into the prequels at the mm -hmm. same time. So that could definitely irk some people the wrong way. Well, I think then we should talk about Star Wars as political. Um, Morning Consult released a poll uh, this past week that just like made my internet experience for, uh, for the week much, much better, um, tackling what people uh, view as their favorite characters, and then also whether or not they view Star Wars as political. So I'm going to go over the top lines. Um, so 53%, I feel so intimidated sitting there <laughs> saying, saying hey, top line, top line. You're, you're, you're not going to get into the crosshairs? We're going to get I have them right here. 53% uh, of two, 2,200 individuals polled uh, by the Morning Consult um, view Star Wars as not being political. Only 17% of those polled see Star Wars as political, and of that, um, only 20%, uh, that 17%, only 20% of that were willing to like not watch the movies anymore because they were offended by the politics. So I'm kind of kicking this y'all's way like, Star Wars is political, but a clear majority of fans don't view it that way. I think they've set up a wall, a little bit of a barrier, a safe space, if you will. Um, why do you think this is? Because Americans, um, they love Star Wars, they hate politics. What do you make of that? 
Yeah, I wonder if when people are hearing, do you view Star Wars as political, if they think of it as, do you think Star Wars is partisan? Mm -hmm. Because I would argue that Star Wars is political, but it's not partisan. Mm -hmm. And that if that's part of what's driving it, that when people hear, is Star Wars political, they're thinking, oh, is it trying to make like a point that someone's bad and someone's good? And, you know, are they trying to say something about contemporary political leaders? And I know there's this conversation about, you know, the prequels being a commentary on the Iraq war, but I don't know how widely that has has spread. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where some of that response is coming from. Yeah, and also I would like to see the crosstabs uh, because <laughs> the it, might, are interesting. it might break down by age. It might break down by which Star Wars movies are your Star Wars movies right. because um, I, I would argue that the original trilogy, the politics are less overt than they are in episodes yeah. one, two, and three. So it may just depend on which Star Wars is your Star Wars. Do you have the crosstabs handy for the people who haven't watched Star Wars? Because that was the most interesting thing to me. It's basically, it's basically, it's basically liberal women. Liberal women have never seen Star Wars, and it's like overwhelmingly, and it's, that surprised me. It's just like it's weird. It's like this is a sci-fi genre that has an extremely like a like out there, you know, upfront. One of the main characters in yeah. the first trilogy is this like brassy lady who's like in everybody's face and is a and isn't just that but is like a military commander which is not like I mean there are many strong you know sci-fi female characters Ripley and people like that but it's certainly not something that was all that common at the time you look at the woman's march and you see Leia Organa over yeah. all those posters it's like yeah she must have inspired it, it just it just sort of surprised me that that was sort of the demo that hadn't seen it the most uh, hmm. I do think that of course Star Wars is, is political I do think that there are wonderful lessons to be taken away from the centralizing and nefarious power of the old republic that decayed into corruption and complacency and then gave way to an authoritarian who just added genocide to everything else that they were doing wrong. Um, I also think that I also think that 2016 is sort of an indication that if you're going to find a stand-in for uh, the American political experience for that year. Endor works really well. You know, the globalists come in, they build all their structures, and it's all fancy, and they have their high flying in you know, a sort of new technology, and then the natives uprise and kill all of them. <laughs> so, like, I think there are all sorts of political messages to be found there. But again, to Kurtz's point, it's not necessarily partisan. It's just like it's a sort of lesson on the relationship between the powerful and those who are who are subjected to that power in ways that they revolt against. Uh, can I just, can you go through the character popularity? Because the one number that, that stands out to me is yeah. that Jar Jar Binks has a 37% yeah. approval rating, which I think is too high. Well, um, I, I ended up Who speaking to you on the podcast. Yeah. Are you one um, of these people? I am not. Okay. <laughs> okay. I ended up speaking um, to David Mark of the Morning Consult, who is right there. Um, who worked on this, and you know, I think he had a, a great point. Even Nixon had a constituency. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> got on, got on. Jar Jar Binks is a hard <laughs> face. <laughs> <laughs> he has a floor. Jar Jar's where I get get off the train of defending okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> stop where I'm like, no, we're good here. <laughs> I actually want to inject a little further controversy into this because I was noticing some Twitter discussion about the cross taps, and apparently. It's more Republicans than Democrats that like Jar Jar, apparently. Yes. What? Yeah. <laughs> they also like they also like Jabba more, apparently. Well, Jabba's awesome. Yeah. Like Jabba's. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
I actually have this on the program for later because I want to come back around to this because okay. we're going to pull it up and we're going to look at some of the surprising findings there. No, you're fine. I'm <laughs> so upset. Let's, let's do the cross tabs. Um, but, so, I mean, my theory on, on generally just why people don't view Star Wars as political is just because they have sort of set a boundary around something that is sacred from their childhood. I mean, like, they went and saw um, Star Wars with their, their parent, their sibling, their best friend when they were a little kid. And it, it kind of takes me back to um, the wheel in Mad Men um, and Don Draper's pitch uh, about the carousel. And just, you know, the idea that, like, nostalgia, this, this, it takes us back to a place where we ache to go. And I think Star Wars is exactly that for everyone. It is the carousel. It is this wheel that keeps spinning. And the idea that it could be political, I think, offends some people because that's not what they were thinking about when they went and had that special time growing up. I might disagree a little bit on that. Right. If only because of the way that we have now seen Harry Potter become so political. I think it was, what was it, last week at the Consumer Protection Bureau, yeah. they had this fight over who's actually <laughs> running the agency, that there was talk that there were some folks in the agency who were, were sort of career, yeah. I don't know if they were appointees or career folks, holdover appointees, but they were calling themselves Dumbledore's Army yeah. yes. in their like secretive <laughs> text group about how to like, resist Mick Mulvaney. Um, if you are trying to preserve your this thing of innocence from your childhood, I think Harry Potter is an example of something where people are actively drawing upon this thing they loved when they are 16 to inspire <coughs> political action in themselves a decade or two later. Cross uh, crossover between these two franchises and their politicization is that both have creators who have continued to tinker and continue to interject and continue to say what I really meant by that was yes. and I think both are a very good point yeah. that you need someone in your life to edit you at all yeah. points no matter how powerful you get and no matter how much like centralized government in the galaxy you know you just continue to expand because nobody tells you no and I think a few less this character had this political message comments from from J.K. Rowling might be helpful. For I, I think that's absolutely fans right. Of that George, George Lucas has editorialized, <laughs> right. I think, the legacy of the prequels because he, it felt relevant. It felt right at the time. And, and Vietnam and Iraq were already being equated, so why not go out and do an interview equating the two? Even though I agree with most of his political views, I'm very grateful that George Lucas is not on Twitter. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, my gosh. I'm just glad he's... I mean, I... I greatly respect the guy. He gave me so much of my yeah, life, but I'm too. so glad yeah. that he has just sort of gone out to pasture and like let Star Wars, <laughs> like let Star Wars grow and move on because, you know, it's, it's kind of like the way George W. Bush has handled his post-presidency for the most part is, yeah, I'm leaving good. now, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't necessarily intentional. It's about to sign a contract. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they ask him. They ask him. You know, did you give them ideas? Oh, yes. They just didn't use any of them. <laughs> this, this, the, the sort of uh, oh, good, goodness gracious, what hath George Lucas wrought uh, raises a really interesting question for me, which is, I'm trying to think of another franchise that is as widely known and as beloved as Star Wars, where its most ardent fans are the ones that actually hate large portions of its yeah. prop of its properties <laughs> the most. <laughs> that like there will be people who are like passive Star Wars fans who might be like, oh I like all of them. I kinda like Star Wars. Yeah, Leia, she's with the buns, right? That's pretty great. <laughs> but it's the people that like love it the most, they're like, there's actually only two real Star Wars. <laughs> 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 
I just, I just wonder if sometimes the loudest voices dominate this conversation, and it kind of comes down to, again, some of the polling and morning consult were like, Jar Jar Binks performs remarkably well. Um, and, you know, you got a Jar Jar Binks fan in, like, the front row here. You know, children love these things, and new generations of, of kids are always falling about these movies. Um, you know, so, like... Maybe it just seems to me like the negativity of the social media era dragged some of these movies down a lot more than they actually are viewed. I don't know if any of us are familiar with the field where the loudest voices and the negative people on social media dominate the conversation. I don't know anything about that. (laughs) 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 All right, so let's talk about the future of Star Wars. Um, Star Wars The Last Jedi screenings start tomorrow for this. Um, Opens to everyone on Friday. There is reason to believe that the light versus dark dynamic um, is going to be changing in the new Star Wars movies and going forward. Um, we used to have a thing in canon called Grey Jedi, um, or you know, the EU called Grey Jedi, which was sort of like this middle ground, people who wielded the dark side and the light. And you know what? Like When you think about like the new Star Wars movies sort of turning over the light versus dark dynamic, breaking it up, and sort of almost introducing a third-party option, I'm like, oh, okay, this is made for 2017. Um, so I wanted you guys to discuss a little bit about the black and white morality of Star Wars because it used to be pretty clear-cut and it might be changing. And what do you think about a Star Wars where we have a little bit of a mushy middle in terms of our Force users? So, I mean, it used to be literally black and white. Yes, quite. <laughs> like, it was like, oh, all the good guys wear the light colors and all the bad guys wear the dark colors. It's so obvious and so clear. Um, and um, it, it, it does seem as though, and maybe it's just that we're moving into a different time where, and we have different directors and we have different people who are bringing their touch to this series, but it's, um, it's not your sort of, it's no longer your standard, what is the right phrase for it? It's, um, it's, it's not sort of that old school, like kung fu style, mm-hmm. um, sort of classic archetypal, archetypal um, film. These they, they are getting more nuanced, and, and maybe you know, it's maybe they're it's because we're all adults now, um, <laughs> and they want our money. But they're making films yeah. that are a little more adult and sophisticated, and not quite so like. I'm good, you're bad, the light, the dark. Um, I actually think that Star Wars gets kind of an unfair shake when it comes to the black hat, white hat thing. I mean, you know, for instance, uh, I just saw Shape of Water, which is getting all these like plaudits and has like 95% of Latin tomatoes, and I thought it was terrible. And But like Michael Shannon, who's a bad guy, shows, in, shows up in it, and he's literally wearing a black hat. <laughs> and it's like, okay, this is a little on the nose. you know. And if this was a sci-fi movie or a Star Wars or like franchise movie, you would probably, critics would probably criticize that and said they love it because it's about a lot of other crap. But anyway, um, uh, I think it is very interesting to see some nuance injected uh, in uh, the series. I think that you and I have both seen the movie already. And we're struggling not to talk about it. Well, no, so actually, no, it's impossible. It's impossible to talk about it without, like, we can't. Yes, we can't. can't. Um, uh, I think you, maybe you liked it more than I did. Um, No, actually, well, anyway. Okay. (laughs) 
moving <laughs> on. Sorry. Don't worry. Don't what worry. have you done? There, 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 here's here's what I will say. when it's safe for no, it's okay. Here's, here's, what I, here's what I will just, no, I think I think I'm allowed to say this without spoiling anything. I will just say that, that Daisy Ridley, at, that, nope. Daisy, that Ridley, Driver, and Hamill uh, put in amazing performances. Oh. Yes. Okay. They are phenomenal oh, yes. in this movie. <laughs> they are the core of the movie, and they do a great job. Good. So, so like any concerns about like Mark Hamill coming back after a long time, you know, don't listen to that. So, well, well, the thing is, I don't think that's a spoiler. No. <laughs> <laughs> Saying they did a good I mean, job is not a spoiler. I, I mean, that's not a surprise at all because Mark Hamill has always been brilliant. He is the Joker. He's done so many other amazing roles. He is. One of the best actors of our age. I will yeah, yeah. stand on my so, island on so, that. But the one, the one thing I would just say about, about nuance that I think is challenging is when you say that like Grey Jedi thing, yeah. what it actually makes me think about is how there are all these people who played Knights of the Old Republic when I was, yes. when I was younger who were very frustrated by the fact that like, oh, I want to do this thing, but then I have to be really bad. <laughs> yeah. Or I want this power, but then I have to be good and it screws up my bad character. And like depending on, I remember playing... I played one of the games as a bad guy and one of the games as a good guy. And there's a moment in the, in the first game where you have the ability to use your life debt from a Wookiee to yes. kill his yes. friends. Yeah. And it's so, like, it's and it's like I was playing that as the bad guy. And even then I was like, oh man, oh, I'm not sure I want to do that. I, like, will, like, I, will, be, I will be really sad and like, mad at myself if I do that. I did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle with that game was like Val. you wanted to make some bad decisions, but you didn't want to have the veins on your face. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, I want to be a little bad, but I don't want to like look like I just like got electrocuted. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I liked the most about Seven, which I'm not even gonna look this direction, see even facial reaction to this. The thing that I liked the most about Seven was the way that it seems as though Kylo Ren is being tempted by the light. Yes. That, that so much of the series is built on this idea of, you know, the, the force, it's good and people are good, but you can be tempted by power to do bad things. And so the dark is always beckoning you. And it was really neat, I think, to, uh, less from a political context, almost more from like a religious context, the idea that like there's a force of good that is actually also calling you and beckoning you. And that no matter how dark you are, no matter what it is that you've done, that you can still be tempted at any point to maybe give in to the light. That to me was the most interesting thing about Seven. But that's the key, that's a key, and this is not a spoiler. I think everybody can tell from the trailer that that is a, a central sort of tug of war that happens in this next movie in the sense that there, so one of my favorite pieces of fan fiction, which you should all read if you have not read it already, is the Cheeseburger Brown, uh, you know, the, the blog from Darth Vader that you can find online. You must all go back and Google it. It is amazing. And it sort of runs through the entire uh, sort of uh, first uh, trilogy. And uh, it has very, very funny jokes in it, including one about Admiral Ozzel, which I cannot repeat in a, in a, in a uh, family-friendly <laughs> event. Uh, uh, but one of the key entries in it is this entry where he explains the difference between his essential religious view of, of the Force and his role in the universe versus the role of the Jedi. And the way he essentially frames it is as the Sith believe that if you have the power to affect the course of the universe and to prevent chaos and to, and to create order, that you must act in order to do that. Because without that, it's a, the universe is a spiral towards chaos and devastation. 
and that he views the Jedi as the opposite of that, as this sort of monkish, you know, we just want to retreat from things and go off and meditate and, you know, do whatever on an island in the middle of the ocean. And that is sort of a thing that, that really, I think, speaks to the core dynamic between these two different parties. And it's a very interesting to have that finally kind of coming to the front of what the movies are about and, and, a, and a central debate there as opposed to just being something that fans talk about. But I feel like that's a reason why uh, I was so frustrated with the prequels is because that's such a great story arc to really get into, but the, the moments where Anakin is tempted and does take steps towards the dark side are so hacky and so yeah. sudden. Yeah. And, and it's not like a gradual shift. There's never that logical conversation. There's like a couple emotional moments where it's like, well, then I'll just do that. And like, that's such a missed opportunity because it's such an interesting story arc. George, uh, George Lucas is a great visionary, not necessarily the best executor of his vision. <laughs> that is so true and well played. And yet here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like with Luke stranded on an island, uh, at the beginning of episode eight, we know this from episode seven, he is out there, he seems to be a broken man. Um, I mean, do you think that this says something about where we are as a society to have like the golden boy of the Star Wars movies um, not knowing who he is anymore? Because there seems to be a lot of conversation these days about how in our politics, we, we don't know who we are anymore. Like it's gotten so upside down. Um, do you think that this is sort of like the trilogy for this time? Well, I, this was something that I was thinking about when we were having this earlier discussion about uh, it being black versus white and, you know, always good, always evil, and that, that now it's looking more like we're exploring this gray concept. Think about the TV shows that people have gravitated toward the most in the last couple of years. Uh, Breaking Bad, Mad Men. It's all these ones where the central character is kind of a bad guy. I mean, at best, you're talking a Don Draper who lacks a moral compass, and at worst, yeah. you're talking about, you know, I mean, the, the, this sort of trend toward celebrating the anti-hero and finding the, the gray, and instead of just wanting someone that you're rooting for, you're rooting for someone even if they are they are broken and imperfect. And I mean, that has been a, a broader trend that I don't think is just about our politics now, totally. but has been a longer cultural trend. I just have to have a mild critique that says that while certainly critics have, gra have gravitated towards those shows, as the representative of CBS here, I would like to check out the number one show on TV, which is NCIS. <laughs> which you know, which kind, of, you know, kind of brings me back to like the more principle. Like, you know, fifty-three percent of people are not engaging with Star Wars on this level that we are right yeah. here on this stage. And and again, like I, I love one thing that Joe Scarborough said in the last year, which was like that you know, while everybody else was watching, <laughs> while everything else that, you know, well, the I whole do. country was watching um, The Apprentice, while only like a core group of people were watching Breaking Bad. And that's how we sort of missed how this whole Trump thing happens. Cause like, yeah, the rest of the country is like not well, engaged with this. The show that on, break, on uh, Big Bang Theory is probably also up to yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. I think I could go down a road with that, but it would get us off the Star Wars theme. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have deep thoughts on Sharknado and Donald Trump that I'm happy to share with anybody who wants to hear them after, after the show. Um, but I think I wonder almost the opposite of what you said because uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and it seems very clear that Luke Skywalker have totally removed themselves, have gone to this deep contemplative space and in, uh, in our political society, in our day-to-day -day society on social media, I don't think we allow ourselves to do that for five minutes 
let alone the decades that these two characters have gone on. Who, who retreats, who, who fully thinks through like regretful decisions? Even our disgraced politicians 20 minutes later are running for New York City mayor or whatever again. I, I just feel like that there's a difference though, because I think Luke, uh, Luke, is, Luke is there for a different reason than Obi-Wan was there. I guess you know more than me. You are being dangerous. Uh, That's not being dangerous. I just mean that, like, well, well, we know that from Force Awakens. Han Solo said why he's there. Yeah, Han Solo said why he's there. He lost the temple, et cetera. Yeah. But isn't that kind of the same as Obi-Wan, though? No, I don't think so. Obi-Wan was fleeing danger, wasn't he? No, no. I think we need to be clear that, like, Obi-Wan and Yoda were hiding out because they would have been murdered by the Empire. Right, yeah, that's what I mean. They're, like, fleeing danger. Whereas. There's a difference between Luke's, retreating. Luke self-exiled. Yes. yes. Out of shame. I, I guess. I'm thinking of the angle of him have, bringing along this prodigy and totally seeing him become this monstrous, murderous person thinking yeah. through what he did there. Oh, yeah. sorry. I you might be imposing. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to pivot away from here. Um, I want to talk to you all a little bit about uh, picking sides in Star Wars. Um, Empire or yeah. Rebels. First Order Resistance. Suara, you want to run away with this? Yeah, it's like, you know, we love both the good guys and the bad guys of Star Wars, but most often in fandom, one side, people will usually be on one side or the other. They'll say, I'm a rebel or I'm an Imperial. We have members of the 501st back here, uh, you know, who are staunch Imperials or First Order people. So I just want to go around and raise your hand if you consider yourself primarily a rebel. We got three here, cool. And raise your hand if you consider yourself primarily an Imperial fan or First Order fan. Really? 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 Wait, so, 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 so I think I've shifted. I don't know. Wait, wait, so like, so, so, wait, I, can't, actually, I don't know if I can talk First about Order, that. guys. But I am actually curious about this because um, did you at one point ever consider yourself primarily an Imperial fan or? Like I think I've shifted over time. I mean, just uh, in terms of Star Wars itself or like a life view. I, I think <laughs> well, I find myself yeah. being more gravitating toward the establishment and order of things okay. at all levels at, right. at one point now, which, which sometimes I think back on and think, oh, I think I misidentify with all the movies that I liked at this point. You know? <laughs> ben, how about you? Um, so uh, I bow out. <laughs> I I I, uh, I don't identify with either. I identify with smugglers and mercenaries. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you should pick sides. I think sides are dangerous. Uh, I do agree, though. I think it like the and this is a different argument because I was asked actually by somebody at New York Mag or something like that asked me to do a can you do like an imper- the First Order is Right piece or something like that? Right. And I said, I don't actually agree with that. What I think is that the Sith are right about the use of the Force. Right. That essentially they are correct that you ought to be involved in trying to prevent chaos and disorder in the universe that would lead to, lead to incredible, terrible losses of life. The problem is, of course, that this ultimately leads the Sith to not like benevolent technocracy. But... Genocide, <laughs> and, and that's just like that's that's a really bad idea. So uh, you know, it's a more subtle. Trying to maintain order, you just need a little extra you have fear to break in the a universe. Few eggs to make <laughs> also, I just like to let our listeners at home know you're wearing a Death Star. I am, but what? But it's but it's about hubris. Oh, <laughs> it's just too big to fail. Death Star too. Yes. So I guess regardless of. Whether <laughs> 
So I guess regardless of whether we choose a specific side, I think we can all agree that we still love our Star Wars baddies. You know, I consider myself primarily a rebel, but I love Emperor Palpatine. I think he's brilliant. I find him in a way to be inspirational for how manipulative and how badass I think he is in a lot of ways. So, But I also have to remind myself that, hey, George Lucas, the creator, still intended these bad guys like Palpatine, Darth Vader, uh, the First Order today in the sequel trilogy to be based off the most horrific um, entities in modern world history, the Nazi party. And I think that you see other analogs uh, to them, allegories to them as well, such as with ISIS, maybe with Iran or North Korea with their technological capabilities. And so I think that we can still all definitely keep that relative distance in our heads, that we understand one is fictional, that we can still like as bad guys, and the other is something that is to be abhorred. But it is still worth um, thinking about how do we personally reconcile that internally for each of us? Well, this is yeah. what was so cool, I think, about Rogue One mm -hmm. and why it ranks way up there in terms of all of the Star Wars movie in, in my rankings is because it's a movie, even though I, I, I guess I identify with Team Rebel, it's a movie that not only allows but encourages you to, for brief moments in the scene, or in the film side with the Empire. Right. Like, you kind of want the rebel air attack on the science base where Jin's dad is. Like, you kind of, you're rooting for them to fail. Yeah. And that's, it's, and it's, it's not just, I'm rooting for them to fail because I'm uh, contrarian <laughs> who, you know, thinks that the, the Empire is great, but it's, it's because they are, it is actively exploring a little bit more of this this grayness. There's one scene in Rogue One, it's very small, it's when Jin is being, quote, rescued by the rebels uh, on the planet Wobani, and you just see for a split second this one stormtrooper sitting down, really tired, he doesn't want to be here, he's just doing his job, and it, it's so well done, this small scene, you feel for the guy, you know, he, this is sort of the banality of evil, it's just, yeah, they're normal people in this empire. The only people I really dislike in this is the Skywalker. <laughs> that family drama, man. It's just yeah. like, think about how many things they've screwed up. <laughs> but, but in the, I think the other thing that, that Rogue One explores really interestingly is, okay, so you can pick which side you're on. Totally. But then also, what tactics do you think are justifiable to achieve your, your ends? So you've got on Jeddah, you know, you've got a whole scene that is just ripped straight out of, you know, scenes from Iraq or Afghanistan, mm -hmm. right? Where yes. there's a population that has been occupied and they don't like that occupation and so they're going to rebel you know but then they're employing sort of terrorist style tactics and all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're realizing like wait a minute this is like they just set off an yeah. IED under a tank and I'm rooting for them they look like the, wait a minute hang on they look like the Taliban well and and, and <clears throat> but, but you see so you've got um I do not remember his name Forrest Whitaker's character uh, Saw Gerrera Saw Gerrera Saw Gerrera's folks that think that the rebels themselves are too moderate, that they're yes. not extreme enough. And like that was also an interesting debate, the tug of war about how extreme ought you be in the pursuit of your goal. If you think your goal is truly the empire is oppressing people, is it justifiable? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, one of the things, so I was watching Empire before I came over here tonight because I watch it about once a month anyway. And, uh, uh, and one of the things that's notable about the difference between that and something like Rogue One is Everybody's in uniform. They're all wearing uniforms. Like you know, they're they're all you know. We don't want to talk about Geneva treaties, this sort of stuff. You know, like these people are all clearly combatants. They have ranks. There's you know organization, etc. 
And what Rogue One established is, well, imagine if there was something that was sort of a fringe of this, that thought that those people were all kind of squares and it was ridiculous to sort of fight a normal war against the enemy and that instead you had to employ all these sort of extreme tactics. That's an interesting moral question. So does that actually undercut the long-running debate in fandom that the uh, Rebel Alliance were terrorists and you know blowing up the Death Star was an act of terror? Because that's something that we've all kind of like bantered about in fandom. And we I think we all only half mean it when we say it, but like now Star Wars has kind of given us an actual terrorist faction of the Rebel Alliance, right. where when they go off and they throw bombs under tanks and endanger children, the Rebel Alliance, they have trouble like propagandizing off of that. That hurts their effort. Mm-hmm. Um, has that sort of helped and, and solved that argument for us? Sorry, I just want to add that something that we don't really see is the oppression of the Empire. We hear talk all the time about worlds being enslaved or their resources being stripped. We get a slight hint of that with Wobani and Rogue One, but it's mostly through second hand, the Rebels telling the audience the Empire is evil, they're space mm-hmm. Nazis. We need to defeat well, them. It's also but, the yeah. destruction of Alderaan, right? Yes, like, the that's of Alderaan. The, like that's <laughs> the like that's the. And for my, if I'm arguing about why blowing up the Death Star is completely justified, like that, it's the like hashtag never forget, uh, you know, moment of look what they did to Alderaan. We need to prevent this from happening again. Now, if you are an Empire sympathizer, then you, I have seen the case that Alderaan is actually. Uh, you know, got what was coming to them, but uh, I, I think for me, that's the like. What? I think I'm not familiar with this. <laughs> he was wearing a short skirt. What's the? No. <laughs> the, the idea that, that when Leia says that, like, oh no, Alderaan is peaceful. There's nothing going on there. That like she's not necessarily she's not a reliable truth. narrator. Yeah. She's yes. not necessarily a reliable yeah. source right. for that information. Yeah. So. So I love the direction that this conversation has taken, in which we're starting to feel some sort of sympathy for the Empire and, you know, them simply trying to do their jobs like keeping the Empire under, uh, keeping the galaxy under control, except for a couple of <laughs> certain, like, uh, acts like destroying Alderaan, but I do want to get back to um, another aspect of the question is that we still love these bad guys, and I'm wondering, you know, especially as we're going through and thinking about the examples I listed at first, you know, like uh, neo-Nazis or ISIS or Iran or Korea or North Korea or something like that, could, do you, could you see anything being inherently problematic with how much people love and revere Darth Vader or Ember Palpatine or anything like that? I guess I've thought a lot about this lately, not, not as going as far as thinking it's problematic, but yeah. I'm just curious about what I'm going to do because... Uh, so my wife and I have our first kid due in April. And I just thought, thank you very much. It's exciting. Um, and we've just been thinking, all right. <laughs> I'm not doing any of the work. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I've just been thinking on a lot of different fronts about how uh, my kid is going to encounter Star Wars for the first time, and we're talking about you know how we all came into the franchise at different points and how that reflects our view, and and what it's going to mean as a kid in an era where they're kicking out a new Star Wars movie every single year. You know, like one reason why I'm so excited about the uh, the special editions was that it was this kind of mythical thing that you could watch it on a grainy VHS, but to watch it in a movie theater for the first time was such a big deal. Uh, to that point, though, I, I wonder, like, um, am I going to have thoughts if, if they want to dress up as a bad guy for Halloween? And, like, how do you deal with that? I mean, I don't think I would say, like, no, you can't be Darth Vader, but I'm just curious if I would, like, nudge them toward the good guys or away from the from the more horrific characters. I, I can tell you that um, I was deeply hurt uh, when my son wanted to be a stormtrooper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a feeling 
you guys walked in and my blood went cold. Like, you're, you're scaring me. It is unnerving, yeah. She does, she does not care. I'm just a little intimidated. Um, so I, I was, like, really disappointed how much my son wanted to be a bad guy. And first he got into being a storm into stormtrooper, and then he was really into Boba Fett, which I know is quite trendy. Um, and... And but still then, a bad guy. I know, yeah. still definitely a bad guy. He sold them out. Like he's not a good guy. And um, what a ship, though. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> he's Ben's kind of guy. Yeah, he is totally your kind of guy. And then, um, More of a Django. And then we were gonna Same. go this summer to this uh, thing called Jedi Training, which is basically just like a magic show at Wolf Trap, except with a Star Wars theme. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> And I was like, buddy, we're going to go to Jedi training. He was like, but mommy, I don't have any good guy costumes. I'm going to need a Jedi costume. And I was like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> Welcome to the light side of the, of the force. <laughs> Stay here. <laughs> this, this thing that you bring up about, you know, what's it going to be like in a world where there's a new Star Wars movie coming out every year? Something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, too. And it's, uh, I, I have been torn in my own mind. I'd be interested to hear what you guys all think about this, about whether I am selfish for being a little bit sad at the way that Star Wars has escaped the bounds of nerddom as of late, right? <laughs> that, that, like, I remember, so my entry point to Star Wars was in high school. I was... I think 14, and I really liked episode one because there was a 14-year-old gal running a planet wearing fabulous red dresses. Uh, that's why my screen name was Amidala something, something, something for a long time in the AOL era. I mean, I, I like I was in, right? But this was not a thing that made me in any way cool or mainstream. Now, I am certainly not like the full depths of Star Wars nerddom. Like, my husband will tell me, like, oh, you would really love Mara Jade. And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> but uh, maybe I would, okay. Um, you know, so there are certain, like, tiers of how deep you go. And I'm not very yeah. deep. But, like, earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, I, a friend sent me that there is a uh, an outdoor gear, it's like a Patagonia or a Columbia or one movie. of those, that they are now selling, like, $400 Leia on... Yeah. Uh, like Leia on hot outfits, yeah. like like a legit jacket you could go wear to go skiing. It's like four hundred bucks. I'm like, okay, that is a triumph of the market economy, <laughs> I guess. But also, like, man, like it does feel like Star Wars has escaped the mm -hmm. bounds of being a nerd thing. And I don't know how I feel about that. It has broken out. Yeah. Well, I, I think the bigger problem, you know, you talk about things being problematic, and I don't think we should think about. Darth Vader is like <laughs> Bashar Assad or something like that, you know, and, and the rebels as being, you know, the people on the inside. But there are like a lot of problematic things in Star Wars, especially, I mean, I mean my favorite problematic thing is, has got to be, has got to be Lando Calrissian. I mean, here's just a striving, um, yeah. hardworking African-American in a difficult mining industry who has a dude who comes in who yeah. culturally appropriates an African-American voice with his voice modulator and just seizes everything that he's done. Like, that is totally <laughs> awful. Like, have you thought about how awful that is? And, and, and I mean, sorry, just the other day... Sorry, I just, want to, I just want to interrupt and say, you want to talk about really problematic racial tropes in Star Wars? Look at episode one. Oh, God! Oh, my! Well, no, but also the, also the ambassadors... Oh, the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, just, I... just the other day, I was watching The Empire Strikes Back, and you know, 
Lando's interactions with Leia are, are they're, they're, fun, oh, yeah. they're funny to watch. And, and Han's kind of like grimacing while he's doing this, but like, you know, even my daughter was going there and she goes, he's being really rude. And I was like, <laughs> I never thought that. that I was like, so maybe this is like the cultural change. I was like watching that and I was going, like, oh, you're being so creepy. <laughs> Before we, we veer away from, from Lando Calrissian, I just want to say, the, uh, my favorite meme combining Star Wars and politics of the last two years by far, and I like lost it for a day and looked at it over and over again, was when Trump and Romney had dinner at, uh, at the French restaurant yes. <laughs> with the white tables oh, and the white background, and they superimposed uh, him walking in, and this deal's getting worse all the time. <laughs> it was great. On that note, I want to go to our last topic, and then we will have some time for Q&A. Um, I would like to invite up David Mark to actually take my seat for just a moment because you are the man behind some of this polling. Um, not, not, not to this, so I'm putting him on the spot, but um, I want to talk about some of this character favorability. And I'm sorry if this is blinding you guys. Um, I'll stand off to the side. So I'll just like open it up. Where do you begin? Like, I, so Boba Fett, like middle of the road, 39%. Um, that is kind of egregious. I thought he would be sitting way up high. And you have, uh, you have Yoda, um, number four. I mean, I personally find that a little surprising myself. What do y'all think? Also, can you talk more about the methodology of this poll? <laughs> yeah, so the, I don't have the... Don't have all the cross tabs right in front of me, but <laughs> as was mentioned, the total poll was 2,200 people and change. Wow. And the number of people, uh, as was referenced earlier, actually see the movies as political tropes are in a four or five hundred range. So not a huge group of people, but dedicated to the series. And one of the most surprising numbers, as was mentioned, was indeed Jar Jar. I think we've explored, explored him to a degree. Boba Fett was actually the most surprising to me because I kind of came up with the original series. I'm dating myself a bit here. And he kind of achieved cult status along the way. He was this really tough guy. I think part of it was that he didn't have a lot of screen time in episodes five and six, so there was something slightly mysterious about him, but he doesn't seem to have taken as much in latter, latter years for some reason. So that one was one of the biggest surprises. Princess Leia, of course, no great shock there. Part of that may be a certain poignancy, the fact that Carrie Fisher passed away just a little over a year ago before this, this next installment was coming out. So there may be some sentimental value there yeah. as well. Uh, I think it's really funny just because I had a personal conversation about this. I have one friend who loves Qui-Gon Jinn and was like the only deep cut Qui-Gon Jinn fan. And I'm, seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing you did not make the list. And she was like, I really hope Ray is Qui-Gon Jinn's kid. And I was like, I don't think he's in the plot lines. I anymore. want someone to go back and take Liam Neeson's voice and him going like, I have a very particular set of skills. Can I just point out? Can I just point out that the popularity of Lando and Java is is right there above Finn and above Frey and above well, a bunch of other people. And I just have to point out, like again, that's kind of the in the middle sort of story. As as uh, uh, as our friend uh, Alexander Petri is, is uh, want to note uh, from Java's perspective, Star Wars is, is a, a series about how. A guy who owes him money and his friends murder him. Just looking at the favorables only tells part of the picture. Yes. So you have to know what the unfavorables are as well. So for instance, somebody like uh, Jin or so, very low favorables doesn't mean she's disliked, just means she's not known very well. 
What I was fascinated by was the fact that not only is Darth Vader favorable 49%, but he's a net favorable overall. His unfavorables are, I think they're probably the highest of anyone up here, but they're not even that high. Which is to your question earlier about why is it that Loving so many of us like the bad yes. guy? And I think part of it is that Darth Vader, we admire him because of his excellence, right? Exactly. That like he's he's a bad guy, but he's good at being bad. And if I mean, there's that scene at the end of Rogue One when he just busted his face. Like I, that's my thing that I yes. like watch like fifteen thousand times. <laughs> like it's just so cool. And I think there's something. And this, I mean, we could take this off in a weird direction about do we uh, forgive people for being bad when they have uh, they perform excellently in other areas of their life. Hashtag Me Too movement, we could go a lot of directions. Uh, I don't think Darth Vader is accused of those particular sorts of bad things. But like that to me, when I saw that, I was like, I wonder why so many people have a favorable of Darth Vader. And I think it's just because he's good at being bad and something in us respects that. He's great at his job. Yeah, I would just also say, I think he becomes a more sympathetic character over time. If this poll had been taken after episode four came out 40 years ago, he probably would have been near or at the bottom of the list. Episode five, you start to see some more exposition about his character with his son brought, getting brought into it. Then with the prequels, he's almost sympathetic at a certain point because he was almost duped into what he became. Not quite going that far, but you know, there's more to the story with him. David Mark, thank you so much for you. joining us for a quick little. Uh, I'm going to borrow one of those handheld mics and. Would love to have time for questions from the audience for our wonderful, wonderful panel up here. Now we're walking around. And uh, feel free to say your name and ask your question. I'm Jess, and I remember the earlier point, oh, why don't more liberal women like Star Wars? <laughs> and uh, earlier this week, I watched an Amir Sarkeesian video, and in the original trilogy, non-Leia female speaking time totals less than three minutes. Right. And if you pick any trilogy or like the latest in the last two movies, name three female characters. If I say name three characters, you can do that really easily. But if you name three female characters, it's almost <laughs> impossible. So I think part of it is a representation issue. I like, especially for younger women, it's like we're just not there. So it's harder to get excited about it. Um, can I, I think this is not a spoiler. This is not a spoiler, but there are more like <laughs> ancillary females yeah. in the new movie. Um, Rose Tico. Uh, well, she's not ancillary. Yeah. Um, but um, there are like female pilots, and it's not like, oh, she's a girl pilot. It's just like, <laughs> oh, there's a pilot, and she's getting in an X-wing. <laughs> yeah, actually, in the original trilogy, they don't even have female pilots. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. true. So, yeah. That's true. And is Captain uh, YouTube donates is Captain Phasma like the first time we've had a female villain in Star Wars? Like yeah. in the films, yes. In the films, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, Absolutely. Yeah. Any other questions out there? Questions, right there. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, Any question at all? Well, I, I think I am curious about the, the the grievances that people have against the empire. So this is, I guess, it depends on what point in time we're talking about. But this remains a big, you know, the big mystery to me. So I get that the empire is bad; they blow up Alderaan. 
you know, in Rogue One, they talk about, oh, it's aggression, Jyn Erso, well, it doesn't bother me if I don't look up. But, you know, like, what are the specific grievances that, pe that would cause someone to potentially join the rebels? And that would help me then figure out, like, what's the question I could ask in an analytics survey to model someone's likelihood of joining either? <laughs> but, I, but I need yeah. to know a little bit more about what, what are the key grievances that people have to figure out how to do that sorting task. Would they be able to maintain a hold in a democratic election? Yeah, I mean, this also raises sampling issues. <laughs> like that to me is perhaps the most interesting question. How could you possibly... We have enough trouble getting, you know, voters <laughs> with phones who we know their phone numbers to take polls or get people on the internet. Imagine going across planets, across different species of, I mean, the challenges are endless. Distributing your poll via the Um So back to the question about the world where there's a new Star Wars movie every year. Um, I grew up on the Star Wars movies. My family's always loved them. I, you know, watched them all the time as a kid. And it was really important that there were three movies and then three other ones, kind of. Um, but there was always so much more to the Star Wars universe. There were comic books, there was fan fiction, there were video games and cartoons and all this other stuff that was sort of on the side that sort of fit into the canon, sometimes did, sometimes didn't. How much of that is gonna change with the fact that there'll be a new movie every year? How much of the sort of sidebar stuff is gonna become more? main canon, and how much is it just going to be new stuff brought up from, you know, wherever? So, after Disney bought Lucasfilm in 2012, you had the creation of this um, sort of council, as it were, called the Story Group, which are a bunch of writers, a bunch of, um, like, uh, deep Star Wars fans who, like, have been deeply invested in the franchise for years, and who keep track uh, across all of the books, uh, comics, uh, TV shows. Um, and, you know, I'm saying this as someone who grew up uh, with the Expanded Universe. I read like 50 uh, Expanded Universe novels, and I actually, it, once Disney uh, bought Lucasfilm, they decided, no, the Expanded Universe is going to be reset. The thing is, they physically could not tell s stories with the amount of material that's out there already, so they had to put the reboot in there. And I was actually really grateful for it because. It was the expanded universe was getting so unyieldy. It was like going off these like far off tangents. It was talking about Luke's great great grandson or something. Like, did we really need to know that story? And uh, as for like a, a movie every year, that is definitely the path that we're going in right now. And you have the uh, books um, tying into the movies by giving background information. For example, with Rogue One, you have this book uh, called Catalyst, which I highly recommend. It's uh, quite excellent. Um, is actually kind of a Star Wars house of cards. Uh, it actually gives a lot of depth into Orson Krennic, and he's basically, you know, obviously in uh, remembering what the, this actor's character is uh, accused of right now. So take yeah. Ben anyway. Wilson. Yeah. The actor for Orson Krennic. No, no, I'm talking about uh, Frank Underwood. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that I was going to say, I think like, Ben Mendelsohn's like, cool yeah, so yeah, far. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Unless so something like, happened today. Putting aside that, it's uh, really fascinating to get this taken to a political manipulator in the Star Wars universe. And I was kind of disappointed with him in Rogue One. I didn't really see much depth to him. But Catalyst like gave a lot of like great tie-ins. And that's like what you really have. Um, 
like with the books and novels going forward and the TV show, it's going to be much more tight and give you background information. It's not necessary, but it's like interesting to know. So uh, can I ask a question just to the group kind of uh, pinging off of that? Uh, who here is in favor of or opposed to kind of genre shifts within the standalone films? Because personally, I'm very much in favor of that. Yeah. Like, I would like to see smaller films that, like, maybe they all take place on one planet. They're still in the same yeah. universe, yeah. but, like, you know, it's something that's smaller. Like, you, you take these planetary sort of things and bring them down to a level that's, that you can wrap your arms around. I'd be fine with a rom-com. I'd be, yeah. fine, <laughs> with, oh I'd be fine with a noir sort of version of it. Like, you can do so many things within this universe... They don't all have to look the same or be filmed the same or have the same kind of tropes. Like, I would really like to see them <laughs> branch out. Anyway. No, what, sorry, what I would really love to see is a Star Wars West Wing or House of Cards. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, when Rogue One came out and, I, like, I don't know, halfway through the movie, I was thinking, you know what, maybe there is such a thing as too much Star Wars. <laughs> Like, they're, they're just, like, hitting the notes that are supposed to make me feel the feels of Star Wars, and I'm just, I just don't know if I can take it. And then Rogue One went in this, like, completely different direction where there wasn't a happy ending, and it was, like, a, one of, it was, like, a beautiful, like, apocalyptic, like, you know, nuclear era movie, like, from, from the black and white era, and I was like, yes! And that, it was still, there were too many, there was a lot of planet hopping and there was a lot of stuff, but there, there was something about that movie that was not, that was just not Star Wars in the same way. It was darker and it, and it stuck with me for so long. It was so wonderful. We published a thing uh, a couple of years ago uh, that uh, I actually uh, read Stephen at one point when he was on our podcast <laughs> called, <laughs> called The Ballad of Porkins. <laughs> I would strongly encourage you all to, to Google it. Um, and basically the point of Rogue One, I think, is the point of like, this is a movie about all the people who are in all those other ships who get blown out of the sky because yeah. they're not your main guy. Yeah. Okay. Right. But guess what? They were warriors and they were there for a reason and they believed in the cause. And just because Obi-Wan Kenobi didn't give a crap about them doesn't mean that like that is any less valuable. And I love, I mean, I had the same reaction. I went into that movie, and, I, and while I was in line, I called a friend and I said, I, all I can say is I really hope they kill everybody at the end. And, 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 and then when I saw it, I, when I saw it, I was like, I can't believe they actually did it. Yeah, I, I can't I, believe I, they actually did it. I think it was, it was incredibly brave to actually kill all yes. the characters, well, and they really needed to, so they weren't lingering around the universe. Um, real quick, and then we'll move on to the next question. But I mean... I do like the deep archetypes that the Star Wars story arc fits into, and so much of it is about sacrifice and self-sacrifice and, 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 and putting yourself toward a cause, but there were never any real consequences on a grand scale, so the fact that there were consequences for a whole bunch of people really energized me, and I, I left that movie very excited yeah. by it. I, it, time. it took me a while to grow into it, actually. We got here, and then I... Just first, real quick, on the uh, Star Wars has sort of uh, escaped nerddom. I think my favorite tweet of all time on this is, I'm such a nerd, I'm a fan of Star Wars, the most popular film franchise. My name's Graham, and my day job, I'm a political uh, writer at the New Republic, and so I have a question about Star Wars and political writing. Um, there is, I think, starting back in, uh, when the prequels came out, there's been this sort of 
genre of uh, conservative political writing, sort of making the case for the empire, and you know, it's, this has been mentioned a couple times tonight. I was always just curious, like, what you folks think about how the films have like provided this kind of like winking template for 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 these kind of arguments, and maybe someone on the panel wants to make a, like a more lengthy case for the empire because I just thought the whole genre was like kind of genius and worth talking about. I think. Uh... I think I ended up at the end of last year's election really thinking of it through an episode four template of you had you had this massive bureaucratic organization that took up four or five floors of a building with billions of dollars to spend and you know the people running against them were four dudes flying around on a plane you know and and they did everything they needed to do to blow up that Death Star so uh, you know political views aside I thought that was actually one of the best bits I've ever seen in an actual real life political situation. So we have actually published a couple of those. I did not write them. Jonathan Lass and a couple of other people have written them. They originated in they originated in sort of the neoconservative interventionist mindset, and uh, and that's fine. Basically, they were describing the rebels as a bunch of ISIS style hippies, you know, and that kind of thing. And that, that, you know, the, the empire was going to protect trade. And it was, this basic, it was basically an ar argument for globalism right. and for the, the kind of uh, Brett Stevens view of America, of America as the police state, uh, you know, sort of uh, policing the world, the world's policemen, uh, same sort of thing being with the empire. I do think it's interesting that they, that they find that to be a compelling argument. But my argument against them would typically be that the empire is really bad at their job. Like, like, if that's their job, they're really bad at it. Like, you shouldn't have to blow up a planet to put fear into, you know, all the local systems to keep them in line. Like, there should be a much better way to do that. And, and, and I, so I think, like, it's interesting and it's trollish and Sunny Bunch does it very, very well. But, like, I, I, I think that it kind of runs into the problem of, of incompetency, essentially. Like, maybe if the Empire was better at its job, then there would be a better argument. Well, but part of yeah, part of the argument though, I think in favor of the empire is it also dabbles in this like, are we sure democracy is a good idea? Type type conversation, right? That if you watch, so again, you know, I I, I would quote you know Queen Amidala things about like this is how democracy dies, thunderous applause, like when I was doing high school debate rounds because like that's. Just what I did. <laughs> um, but but the, you know the argument being that okay you have democracy and you have this senate and it's totally useless and they're not getting anything done and the emperor is gonna get stuff done he's gonna right. do things uh, so you could have squabbling bureaucrats in a system that's not really functioning but is nominally democratic where people are sending elected representatives Senator Jar Jar Binks. Uh, yeah. To go debate on the floor. Oh my God! Coruscant. That's not a good argument for democracy, right <laughs> well, there. No, no, no. <laughs> well, no, so that, that being my point, that then you, you know you can look at the parallels now and and see you know there are plenty of polls where you'll ask people, do you think democracy is a good idea? And some of those numbers have been dropping either yeah. because you're the sort of person that thinks, oh my gosh, democracy gave us Donald Trump, or because you're the kind of person that's like, well, Donald Trump's in power, and I want him to make America. Kind of tired of this whole democratically elected legislature stopping him from doing so. So I think that's also baked into the. Uh, it's like if you're, you know, two cheers for democracy, then suddenly like the empire looks a little better to you. 
it just seems like you've all had a, it's been a good, like, really amusing, sort of, like, great subgenre, right? <laughs> I, I, we do have a senior editor, David Hersani, who wrote a book entitled The People Have Spoken and the People Are Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all stumped at the moment. Sorry, that way, man, those wars, politico, politico was the word I was going for there. Star Wars politico, how about that? I don't think we'll work on this. We have time for one more. made a Star Wars reference, but, but certainly there was during, um, there was this whole thing, which is not that exciting to anyone anymore, with Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush, where there was some question of who was Obi-Wan and, and who was Luke, or maybe not, somebody not was Anakin. Not Jones Yoda last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, not Jones in his uh, victory seat. For years, I do not know if it is still the case, but for several years... Mike Lee's ringtone was Duel of the Fates. Oh, yeah. oh. That makes sense. That makes total nice. sense. I, there, there was one time when I was in a meeting where a handful of uh, reporters had been sort of brought in by, I believe he was Speaker at the time, Speaker Ryan's office. It was an off-the-record meeting, so I'm violating this by telling you this. But at one point, just after, he, he was describing something that was going on, and he, he did a, like, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And I was like, <gasps> <laughs> I like, like, whatever your agenda is, well, let's pass it. That's fantastic. Like, I'm so easily bought. By, like, you made one Star Wars reference, and I'm like, I'm here for it. Let's well, do you guys remember? Tax rate. <laughs> do you guys remember when Obama botched his? He talked about he botched a, it. Jedi a Jedi so mind meld. Mm. So bad. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so <laughs> Although, if you want to hear about something at least I consider bad, I want, I'm wondering if anyone remembers during the 2016 election when Ted Cruz had an ad that was basically the trailer of The Force Awakens, the music and the dialogue, but set to his campaign rallies. It was very, very cringy. I may have blocked that out. <laughs> it was terrible. It was so terrible. I blocked a lot of things. Yeah. Well, there is, there is no question. It's not Shots fired. Um, well, there is no question that Star Wars has like helped us like connect with people on entirely new ways. Um, all across Washington, D.C. in this country. And I just want to thank all of you so much for coming here today and, uh, and talking with us about the Let's give a round of applause for our